You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Hey Amen. I want you to remain standing. This may be a little bit loud, but I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to 1 John while the children are beginning to make their way to children's worship. I want you to turn over there to 1 John. The book of 1 John is right before 2 John. That ought to help you out a little bit. I'm teasing. Right after 2 Peter, over in the New Testament, 1 John, and once you find it, round about verse 13, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I want you to look this way. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. When you find it, just say amen. And I pray you have a Bible today. I pray you have a Bible. I realize that the phone app is a good thing, but uh, sometimes it's just good to have that, you know, just to hold that thing, to be able to write in it, be able to leave it to your kids one day, your grandkids. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. But before we read that, I've been saved twice. Okay, I want you to think about this. I've been saved twice. When I was in the second grade, I had a friend of mine. His name was Tommy. Tommy was, uh, he wasn't a good influence. He was not a good influence at all. He uh, was leading me down the wrong path. He was teaching me, even as a second grader, things that I really didn't need to know. He was a bad kid. One day, uh, Tommy um, I loved water. I've always loved water. I could live near the water. Uh, but Tommy said, uh, hey, why don't you wear your swimsuit under your school clothes and we'll get off the bus, we'll go swimming. And so uh, sure enough, I put my swimsuit up under my uh, school clothes. And as soon as we got out of school that day in Titusville, Florida, dad was working for NASA. We were living there in central Florida, plenty of places to swim. There was one place that was called Coquina Pit. That ought to give you a good name, Coquina Pit. The water was emerald. The water was beautiful. Uh, it had this Coquina rock that was like shell. And it was a very, very interesting place to swim, a great place to fish as well. So he, uh, we got off the bus. We went to Coquina Pit. We pulled off our school clothes. We had our swim trunks on. And then we began to just get out into the water. There came a moment where Tommy got out and he began to swim to the other side of Coquina Pit. He got to the other side and he began to dare me to come across. Now, to be honest with you, I didn't know how to swim. I knew I could put my head down and I could tread water and I could get across. I'd done that before in a swimming pool, but I really didn't know how to swim. So Tommy just kept on, kept on daring me. And here I was, a, you know, I was kind of a chunky little kid, you know, just a muscular, chunky little kid. And so finally, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. I, I went off into that water and I began to make my way across Coquina Pit. I got out there in the middle of that emerald water when all of a sudden I tried to put my feet down and there was no bottom. And immediately it scared me. I, I was scared. And um, so I, I hollered to Tommy and, and, and all, I could have, all I could do was holler help. At the same time, I began to go down. I am 66 and a half years old. I can still remember this vividly in my mind. I am seven years old. I am drowning. It's a beautiful Florida day. The sun is coming down through that emerald water like rays cutting their way down into that water. It's breathtakingly beautiful. I'm seeing this scene right now in my mind. I'm going down. I come up one time, scream again to help, and then I'm dying. Tommy thinks I'm joking. I'm not. I'm looking up, and I can see the rays of the sun coming through the emerald water, and I have both hands up, just like I was doing a moment ago when I was worshiping, and I'm swallowing, I'm starting to choke on water, and I'm dying. And in that moment, finally realizing my little short seven years of life is flashing before me, 
a hand reaches down, grabs me like I'm a rag doll, whips me up out of that water, and I'm a chunky. I love, hey, listen, it's hard to believe, but I looked about like Caleb. I am a thick, you know, muscular, healthy little boy. He reaches down, Jerry, jerks me up like I'm some rag doll, and takes me, swings me, grabs me with one hand, puts his other hand behind, and then sets me on these big, broad shoulders that look like they've been chiseled out of marble. Cold, black hair streaming down his back, and I'm sitting on a Seminole Indian. I'm sitting on the back of a Seminole Indian who is now taking me, a young man, probably 18, 19 years of age, taking me to the other side. Tommy disappeared. I, I have no idea where Tommy went. I have no idea. Tommy was gone. His bike was gone. He was gone. He swam me back to safety to my bike. He looked at me, and I'll never forget this big, just look like a bronze god. He kneels down there. He looks me, Russell, he looks me in the eye, and he says, son, he said, you don't know how to swim, do you? I said, no. He said, I don't want to catch you here anymore till you learn how to swim. Now you get on your bike and you go home. My dad, 92 years old, when he hears this, he will cry even now. Because in that moment, lives could have been drastically changed. I was saved. I don't know who that Indian was. One day when I get to heaven, I believe that people have asked me, do you believe it was an angel? I don't know. To me, he was. But if I had not lived that day, then my daughter Emily Ledge, Jeffrey, the worship leader, my daughter Amy, my grandchildren, nobody would be here. Life would be very different. I was saved. And there may be a time in your life where physically somebody intervened and saved you. I worked with an ambulance service for years, did CPR. Sometimes we brought people back. Somebody may have saved you physically, but I want to ask you a question. Are you spiritually saved? Are you a Christian? In the African language of Zimbabwe, I would say, Murimu Christu Hede. And sometimes the old pastors would look at me and say, they're just going to go, eh. Eh means yes. Hongu means yes. Are you a Christian? And they said, that's not enough. You've got to press it. Then I would look at them and I would go, and I would ask them, do you know that you are a Christian? Do you know that you're saved? Let me ask you something. I want you to listen closely. Do you believe that a man or woman can know for certain if they died where they'll spend eternity? Because there's a lot, there's a lot of people, especially a lot of elderly, a lot of your older people don't believe that. I've had people argue and say, nobody can know that for certain. You can't know that for certain. Well, I want you to look at 1 John, 1 John 5, 13. Because the writer here is John the Beloved. John the Beloved is the closest disciple to Jesus. You remember on the night he was betrayed? Do you remember when Judas was in the room? And do you remember that Jesus began to say that somebody's going to betray me? Do you remember that scene? Everybody looked this way because I've, I've done this before. But... When, when they, in the New Testament, in that culture, they, they, they ate like this. They put their feet, that's why the woman, when she washed the feet of Jesus with her tears and dried it with her hair, do you remember? It was a public, public gathering. She was gathered, there was, I mean, Jesus was there with Simon. And the first, this is the way they ate. They ate like this out of sometimes a communal bowl, sitting up on, on, on maybe an elbow. Their feet stretched out away from where they were eating. There comes a point that the Bible said that Jesus was, had his head in such a way that he was 
Well, that John the Beloved had his head near the heartbeat and near the head, the chest of Jesus. Peter, when Jesus said, somebody will betray me in this little intimate circle, Peter said, John, ask him who it is. And Jesus said, it's the one I'm going to give the bread to, the one at the seat of honor. And then Jesus dips the bread and then gives it to Judas. And then he says to Judas, what thou doest too quickly. That John is the one writing these words. He's ending this letter. Now listen to what he says here. I write these things to you. Now, what are these things? Everything. everything. First John, the whole book of First John. He's now concluding it. He said, I write these things to you who, who what? Who believe in the name of the Son of God. Who is the Son of God? Who believe in the name of the Son of God. So let's say the name together. Jesus. At the, at, the, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess on earth, below the earth, everywhere, heaven, hell, everyone will one day confess that he's Lord. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may, let's say it together, what? So that you may, what? So that you may know that you have what? Eternal life. Wow. The Bible tells you for certain that you can know that you have eternal life. Hey, listen, some of you right now, some of you young people, that don't mean anything to you. You're young. you got your whole life ahead of you. Do you know how many of my high school friends I've buried? Do you know that recently my college roommate died? Do you know a guy I played football with? I went to his funeral and conducted his funeral. Do you know how many high school friends died in college? Do you know how many college kids married and as a young parent died of cancer or some other disease? Do you know that a guy I went to shot and killed his girlfriend, hit her body, and he's in prison to this day? Listen, there's no guarantee of life. So this may not mean anything to some of you, but to a guy that has a stint in the widowmaker, to people that are battling with their health, to people who are getting one up in years, it makes a great deal of difference. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We love you. Take these few minutes, dear Lord. Give us wisdom. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. I'm not going to take a lot of time. Mostly since I made you stand up. This is the book I've been talking about. We closed out... 1 Corinthians, and, 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 and kind of as we came to the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I, I just alluded to the fact of the disciplines of our faith. In other words, you and I, when we become a Christian, we begin to, dis we begin to bring into our life certain disciplines. What was a big one? It's reading your Bible. You remember? We said last week, you and I, we need, we need a time... We need a time to read our Bible, a set-aside time. I don't know what your time is or when it is, but I pray that you have a time. We need a plan. We're looking at doing the chronological Bible again. Some of you may do the one-year Bible, but you need a plan. And then thirdly, you and I learn to meditate on the Word of God, praying it over our children. Caleb and Molly have their new baby here. How? Y'all call them how, right? H-A-L? Right, And how a moment ago, I saw Caleb pinch house so that Caleb would have to get up and go out for a moment. No, I'm teasing. But they've got a new baby. He's just, uh, how old is he now? He's how? Almost two months. So he's, he's little bitty. And, and here's how he's literally just a couple of months old. But here's Caleb, and Caleb's one of our deacons. Let's say that Caleb gets up in the morning, and he has a plan. He's reading the Bible. He's reading the Bible through. He comes to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He looks down there, and he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean into your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your path. And Caleb begins to pray that and think about it. He meditates on it. And guess what he does? He walks in there where Hal is asleep. 
he kneels down by Hal's bed and he begins to say, Lord, I pray that Hal, and I'll model this and give him that example that Molly and I do, I will. But Lord, I pray that Hal will trust in you with all of his heart. Caleb's big hand is on the chest of that two-month-old that he'll learn to trust in you with all of his heart, that he'll lean not unto his own understanding, but in all his ways that he'll acknowledge you and God guide his path. There's a picture that Sheila has of a father who's kneeling over, a, of, of, over his little boy and his little boy is asleep and the father's kneeling down like this. Do you remember that scene? And behind him is standing standing angels with swords drawn. And back outside of the window is a demonic presence. It looks like Satan himself standing outside that window. But between between that demonic force and that dad on his knees praying over that little boy who's there asleep, unbeknowing, is is an army of angels that are watching over as he's praying protection over that little baby. And let me tell you, Molly and Caleb can even begin now. God, we pray in the name of Jesus, and I'm really praying this right now. God, we pray as a body of believers that Hal will grow up to be a great man of God, and that God, right now, if he is to marry, that right now, that wherever his future bride may be, she may not even be here yet. God, she may be in your mind yet to be born. We pray, dear Lord, that her parents will raise her up to be a godly woman and one day how will marry a godly woman and he'll be everything God you'd have him to be and all God's people said amen I may not be here but there may come a day when how McNair is the president of the United States And you may one day have the opportunity to look at Hal and his wife, the first lady, and you may go, wow, I remember praying over him when he was two months old. And Molly had to take him out. And now he's the president of the United States. You know, the question comes, spiritual disciplines. What are those spiritual disciplines? If you look down through here, this is a great classic. The foreword I told you is written by J.I. Packer, who wrote the book Knowing God. But these are the disciplines, Bible reading, prayer, worship. Listen to this one. Everybody look this way. Evangelism. What is that? Let me ask you something. You share your faith anymore? Do you tell other people about Jesus Christ? Do do, do you, when you meet somebody, is it natural for you to wonder in your heart, in your spirit? Is it natural for you to just wonder, are they a Christian? Does that kind of creep up into your thinking? Let me ask you something. Does that come up when you meet people? Because that's a strong indicator that you know Christ. Because that's the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit. Evangelism. So let me tell you real quickly how to do it. Okay, you ready? If you're ready, say amen. Amen. How do you share your faith? How do you initiate a conversation? Do you look at somebody and say, listen, before you leave, can I ask you a question? Do you look at a waitress at Cracker Barrel? Do you look at somebody at the gas pump? Do you look at the cashier at Walmart? Do you look at somebody that's coming across your path who who may never come across your path again? Do you look at them and does it ever occur to you to look at them and ask this question? Can I ask you something, young people? You come across a lot of young people. Are you a Christian? What's the, what's the answer you're going to get? <laughs> Almost without exception, right? And, and, and a lot of times you know you can tell that somebody's just trying to put you off, right? They're just trying to tell you that and so, they, so that you'll leave them alone. But let me tell you the big question. You want to hear the big $64,000 question? It's this. Are you a Christian? And they look at it and go, yeah, 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 oh yeah, yeah. Now, you could ask them where they go to church. Most of the time, they won't be able to tell you or who the pastor is or whatever. But you press it with these words. Could I ask you a question? 
do you know for certain if you died that you would go to heaven? Let me ask you that question. Do you know for certain if you died? Now don't nod your head. Just answer in your heart. Do you know for certain that if you died, you'd spend eternity in heaven? Do you know that for certain? Are you sure? Most people, a lot of people will answer and tell you, and they used to do this a lot. I don't think anybody can know for certain. Let me ask you something. Would you get on a plane at Jackson Airport if you walked up to the pilot, the captain, and he's getting ready to walk into the cockpit, and you say, Captain, I just wanted to check, make sure I'm on the right flight. Is this plane going to Atlanta? And he looked at you and goes, well, I hope so. Wait, let me ask some. would you get on that plane? So, in other words, let me ask you something. You would not, you would not dare trust your life and the people that you love to, to a plane and a pilot who didn't know where he was going. Let me ask you something, parent. Is that what you're asking your children to do? Is your children just watching you wing it? They don't know whether you're saved or not. And listen, you bear no evidence, no spiritual evidence that you're saved at all. Parent, let me ask you something. For some of you, the truth of the matter is a lot of times you get into those crises in, lives, in life and you absolutely go hysterical. You start losing all faith that you have rather than sitting down with your children and saying, listen, mom, dad, we're scared right now and we're uncertain, but let me tell you, we serve a sovereign God. God's got this and we're going to trust God through this. Everything's going to be all right. These things have I written that you may know. Somebody looks at you and you go, well, let me ask you this, because they say, I don't know that anybody can know. They ask you, well, you say this, you say, do you know that the Bible says you can know when you die you'll go to heaven? You can know where you'll spend eternity. And they may look at you and say, well, I didn't know that. Would you mind if I show you? Take your Bible and go over to Romans 3.10. And if you've got a phone, go to that in your app. Romans 3.10. Everybody look this way. This is the only verse that you have to remember. If somebody looks at you and you want to share your faith and you want to lead them to Christ, you want them to know what it means to be saved, this is the verse that you have to put in your memory bank. So let's all say it together. Pay attention, young people. What is it? Romans what? Romans 3.10. Now, let, let, let me read that. Let me say that to you. There is none righteous, no, not one. That's where you start. And you know what you're looking at somebody and you're saying? Listen, there's nobody that's good enough for God. Nobody's righteous. Nobody's good enough. None righteous. What does that mean? Listen, everybody listen. I will never and you will never be good enough for God. No matter how many leaves you turn over, no matter how many New Year's resolutions, no matter how much you go to church, how much money you give away, no matter how much you read your Bible, no matter how much you witness to other people, no matter how much you pray, no matter what you do, none of that will make a dime's worth of difference. There's none righteous, no, not one. Now, out beside that, if it's your Bible, and if you don't have a, a young lady came up to me last Sunday. She said, can I take, she smiled, she said, can I take this Bible? And I know the people that donated these Bibles and those chairs. And I thought to myself, it just probably would tickle them pink. She looked like she had a treasure. She said, can I take this Bible? I said, you sure can. Listen, if you don't have a Bible, you take the one right there in front of you. But out beside Romans 3.10, you write 3.23. Can you do that? Just write out there beside that 3.23. Now what you're doing is you're getting ready to tell somebody how to be saved. And you said, there's none righteous, no, not one. Now you're doing this so that they'll know not only how to be saved, they can have the assurance of their salvation. They can know that they know when they die, they'll go to heaven. Because a lot of people don't know that, and you may not know that. Romans 3.23, you there yet? It says these words, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what the word sin means? It means to miss the mark. Can I ask you something? What's the mark? 
What do you got to do to be able to stand one day at the judgment before God and go into heaven? What are you going to have to be? What are you going to have to be? Say it. Anybody know? What are you going to have to be? What would you have to be to go to heaven? Got to be perfect. The word sin means to mess the mark. It means to mess the bullseye. The bullseye, the bullseye is to be perfect. Anybody perfect in the room? I couldn't even get here today without messing up. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is there's none righteous, no, not one, nobody good enough. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all messed the mark. That's what Paul, Paul was a lawyer building a legal defense here. And he, what he was saying is that all humanity is guilty. Every man, woman, boy and girl is guilty. And when you look at that person and they look at you and they say, well, I don't know that anybody can know. And you read 1 John five thirteen. these things have I written that you may know that you have what? eternal life that you may know that you have eternal life well how can i know that well romans 3 10 says there's none righteous no not one romans 3 23 says for all have sinned and the come short of the glory of god we've all missed the mark no hope whatsoever sinners all going to hell because none of us can do it Try to be perfect. Anybody try to be perfect for a day? How'd that work out for you? Don't ever tell the devil you're going to try not to sin today. Because down in hell, this is what they're doing. Uh, Jeff, hey, Jeff said he's not going to sin today. He's going to live above sin. He's not going to lose his temper. So guys, get out there on the interstate and let's get to work. Let's go now. Break. Right? Why? Because we have, a, Paul said, we have a treasure, but it's in an earthen vessel. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We live in a carnal, fleshly body. Everybody look this way, do this. This body, your fleshly body, is at war with the indwelling Holy Spirit. You've got a war going on. And that's what Paul repeatedly said. Wow, it's not looking too good, is it? And it, turn over, take a, take, a, uh, take a right from there and go to a Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23, and right out beside 3.23, right out beside there, 6.10, so you'll remember it. See, all you've got to do is get to Romans 3.10. There's none righteous, no, not one. Out beside that 3.23, you know that tells you to turn over to 3.23 for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Out beside that, you write, you write 6.3, which tells you to go to Romans 6.3, which says for the wages of sin is what? Do what? 6.23. Yeah. For the wages of sin is what? Is death. Am I right? So you, what you've done is you're telling me I'm a sinner. There's none righteous, no, not one. You've said for all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us are ever going to be good enough for God. And on top of that, now you've told me that the wages of my sin is going to be death. Now everybody listen closely and look this way. A lot of people will smile at that. Because death ain't so bad, is it? You know, young people, let me tell you what happens when you get older. I know what you're thinking when you're young. You're thinking, man, if I was his age and had the problems maybe he has with health, he may not have too many years left. Boy, I'm glad that's not me. Hey, I might, I might outlive some of you young people. But you know what, young people, what you think is you think, well, I've got a long time and I don't have to worry about that right now. Got my whole life ahead of me. Well, we already talked about how that may end, right? Let me tell you about death. Life is tough. I'm telling you, life just kicks you around, beats you up. And you know something I've discovered? I've discovered I really don't want to live too long. 
I'm not really that impressed with life. It's hard. And so I can understand why the Bible would tell me to rejoice over those going out. I mean, death really is not anything for the believer, the Christian, to fear, is it? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I do this to upset Brian, the cameraman, but you've heard me say it a million times over, and hey, it may not mean anything to you, but there's some of us that are a lot closer to the door than others, right? And, if the, and uh, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says this is death. And the Bible says this, absent from the body. Let's say this is this earth, this, this living, this existence. This is where you are right now. This is death. This is heaven. You can't see me, but you can hear me. And Jesus made this a revolving door. He's the one person that went out there, hung out on the other side of death for a while, and then came back and said, uh, this doesn't have no power no more. It doesn't have no sting. I don't have to fear it. Just like a bee that's lost its stinger. It doesn't scare me anymore. I'm not intimidated by death. Why? Because absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. My mom who died of throat cancer is in the other room. My grandmother, who was like a mama to me, is in the other room. Jesus is in the other room. Elijah's in the other room. There are a lot of people in the other room in there. Who's on the other side for you? You see, when, when, you, when you know that you're saved, when you know for certain that you're saved, when you know for certain that if you died, you'd spend eternity in heaven, that door doesn't scare you anymore. It doesn't bother you. You know what that door is to you now? Hey, listen, that door is a family reunion on the other side. What that amounts to, Marge, that's all the kids and all of y'all down at Destin on the other side. The wages of sin is death. To a lost man or woman, you know what they think? I don't want to die. And you look at them and say, I'm not talking about physical death. I'm not talking about the one that can kill your body. I'm talking about the one that can kill your soul in hell for eternity. If that door represents heaven, then what if this door represented hell? William Booth said that uh, Salvation Army he said this, he said, if I could just put you five, minutes, five seconds taking a glimpse of what is on the other side of this door, he said it would change how you share your faith. From Romans 6.23, write 5.8. A lot of bad news, let me give you the good news. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the penalty right there. There's the cross. Some of us, when we come to the time of prayer, some of us prefer to go to the foot of the cross. We like going to the cross. We wear the cross around our neck. It's at the top of my driveway. I have a cross at the entrance of a subdivision at the top of my driveway so that people coming in and out of that gated community can see that cross. That cross is... is, is whether we hang it around our neck, whether we put it on the steeple of our church, it represents Jesus Christ dying for my sin. That's what it means, that cross. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, 2,000 years ago, he died for the sin and the failures, all, everything you'll ever do wrong. Listen to this. When he becomes your Savior, 
when you put him in, when you invite him to come into your heart and forgive you of sin, past, present, future. Some people have a hard time with that. They say, what, you mean to tell me that he may forgive me of a sin I'm going to have tomorrow, that I may do tomorrow, that I may intentionally do? That's right. Well, that's in the future. I said, yeah, 2,000 years ago, all your sin was in the future. He died for your sin. He paid your penalty. He loves you on your worst day. There's nothing you can do that will make him love you anymore. He demonstrated his love toward you in that while you and I were sinners, he died for us. He prayed the penalty. Now, let me give you the, the one final critical key. Right out beside 5-8. Right out beside 5-8, right 10-9. Because from there you would just simply take a person and you carry them to this passage of Scripture if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Confess, Greek homologeo, we just simply confess. We confess the Lord Jesus. There's a difference there. Everybody listen closely and then we're going to pray. I'm not talking about Savior. I'm talking about Lord. And there's a big difference. Lord means that He's the master of your life. He's controlling every decision. He's the indwelling Holy Spirit giving you counsel, telling you what to do, what not to do. Now you may grieve that Holy Spirit. You may quench that Holy Spirit. You may do something that God told you not to do and you may be filled with conviction and heaviness in your heart and you may even say, God, I don't want to do that again. That is all an indication of God's Holy Spirit. That's what that is. You know what that, that's God saying? It's, that's mine. She's mine, he's mine. My property. In fact, the Holy Spirit Paul said in Ephesians, is God's down payment. She was a widow at 19 going to college who knelt by her bed in her dorm and repented of her sin and gave her life to Christ. In that moment, God took his Holy Spirit and put it into my wife. That became his security, his deposit, the down payment. He's, his Holy Spirit is in her until one day he takes her home. He's holding her. He put down the deposit. She's mine. You know what Jesus said? She's mine. She's mine. I may say, well, she's my wife. Jesus said, no, she's mine. She may be your wife, but she's mine. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, Lord, I come to you. I repent of my sin. I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. That means you master, you control. Lord, I know I'm... And hey, listen, down the road you may say, well, he, wasn't always, he hasn't always been the master. Hey, join the crowd. You may say, well, I've made a lot of mistakes. Well, that's right. We all have, right? All God's people said, Amen. Amen. When he was teaching the prayer, remember, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. He was giving a model prayer. He was saying, he said, listen, every time you pray, pray this. Here's your model. Well, you mean to tell me that he said I was going to have to pray that prayer every time? Jesus said, yeah, because the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. And you're probably going to mess up so much every day that you're going to constantly be going, God, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive those who trespassed against me. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For whosoever, verse 13, if you need a little added, put out beside that 10:13. for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Last story, and we'll stand and we'll pray. My mom, dying of throat cancer. And some of you have heard me tell this story. She's dying of throat cancer. Let me tell you what the oncologist said. Let me tell you what the oncologist said about throat cancer. 
when she made the diagnosis, she looked at my dad and, she, and I and she said, it's a horrible death. It's a horrible death. She said, it's a horrible death. She was right. My mom on her, the day she died, cried and begged for just a spoon of coffee. I was playing an old Jim Reeves hymns from the 1960s. And at a certain point, I just got, I don't care. It was just me and Mom there. And I just said, Mom, I know you're probably going to get choked from this, but I said, just swoosh it around. And I'm giving her a spoonful of coffee the way she liked it. And her eyes. We had to suction her out. I said, Mama, it won't be long now. And I'll never forget this. A woman that was adamant, she was saved. I said, Mom, do you know for certain? I didn't say that. In fact, I didn't say that. No, I started off. I said, Mom, I said, you know, it probably won't be much longer. She couldn't talk. I said, Mom, you know that you're saved. And I never forget it. I said, Oh, Mom, you know you're saved. My sister had told me something's wrong with Mom. You need to be here. It's just me and mom. I led her down the Roman road. My mom's sitting there dying of throat cancer, hours, probably two hours from death. I said, Mom, you know the Bible says there's an unrighteous, no, not one. Because I felt like my mom carried an enormous amount of guilt. She had been sexually abused as a child. She carried an enormous amount of guilt. She was scarred and beaten up. She had all kinds of psychiatric issues. Something was wrong. I said, Mom, you know the Bible says there's an unrighteous. No, not one. I'm sitting there looking at it. I said, Mom, you see this? I said, Mom, you know the Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I said, Mom, it doesn't matter that I'm a preacher. It doesn't matter, Mom. I said, do you understand? We're all sinners. I said, Mom, you understand the wages of sin is death. But eternal life is through Jesus Christ our Lord. I said, Mom, do you know God demonstrated His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mom, you know that. And then I'll never forget it and see it in my mind, just like a kid drowning at second, second grade kid drowning. I said, Mom, I said, would you like to ask Jesus to come into your heart and to forgive you? I said, Mom, pray these words. Dear Lord Jesus, her lips were moved. Come into my heart. Forgive me. Forgive me. And be the Lord of my Savior. Be the Lord and Savior. Be the Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Tears started streaming on the side of her face. I looked at and said, Mom, do you know that you're a Christian? I said, Mom, you're ready. Not long after that, she died. Don't wait till that moment for yourself or the people that you love because you may not have that. And let me tell you, young people, I've lost dear friends. And you know what my thought immediately was? 
Oh God, did I tell him how to be saved? People I've worked with, people in the church, oh God, did I tell him how to be saved? Had I ever shared the plan of salvation with them? Do you know that you're saved? Have you done that? And if you haven't, you can do it today. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now, and Lord, I pray for every man, woman, boy, and girl in the sound of my voice. And I pray, dear Lord, there may be some here today, maybe some in this room, maybe some that are listening, that they would be honest enough to say that these things have I written, that you may know that you have eternal life. They may say, Brother Jeff, I don't know that. I, I didn't know that I could know that. Or I've been raised to believe that nobody can know that. But the Bible says that by the disciple that was the closest to Jesus, guided by His Holy Spirit, the inspired Word of God says that we can know that we have eternal life. So Lord, today they've heard the Roman road. We, we've walked that trail that Paul mapped out to that church at Rome, to those early believers. We, we've been reminded that we'll never be good enough. There's none righteous, no, not one. And we all sin and come short of the glory of God and the wages of that sin is death, eternal death, not only physical death, but spiritual death in hell forever. But we know too that God, you demonstrated your love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, drowning, helplessly, hopelessly drowning, that we cried out to a loving heavenly Father who reaches down with the hand of salvation through his son Jesus Christ and grabs a hold and pulls up out, pulls us out of the sin and the brokenness of our life. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I pray, dear Lord, that everyone has done that, but if they have not, that they would say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and forgive me now. That nothing would keep them from coming this morning and making it public, following through. That for others who may work with or have friends or family members that are not saved, that they would have the courage to get up, to come down and to say, Sheila, would you pray with me about this family member? That they would say to my, myself or Russell, or they would just come to the altar and say, I'm coming today to pray for somebody that God you've put on my heart that I need to ask them, are they a Christian? And do they know for certain if they died, they would have eternal life in heaven? So Lord, I pray that you speak to our hearts and that what you do can, can change not only our life, but the lives of the people, the glorious thing it will be. Everybody look this way. One of these days, I'll walk through that door. And when I get through that door, the first one that's going to be there to meet me, just on the other side of the door. In fact, the Bible says this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff. This is just a silhouette to Junior who said, Can I take Jesus home with me? This is just a silhouette, but this is a picture of Jesus. Jesus is not on the other side. I believe he'll be here walking you through. But when you get to the other side, there'll be a glorious reunion. But let me tell you who the greatest... Hey, listen, I want you to hear this. Do you know who's going to be the most joyful on this side? Amy, it is the one that you've told on this side. It's Karen McLemore, Sheila, that you led to Christ who died of colon cancer in her 40s. Karen will be on that side. It is the people, young people. It's the student that you led to Christ and you lost contact with them who's on the other side one day who comes up to you and says, you told me about Jesus. You walked my street. You came to my door. 
Marge who meets people every day, somebody one day comes in and says, Marge, you don't remember me, and walks up to her in heaven, but you always lifted up Christ. You didn't just fix me lunch. You told me that Jesus Christ loved me. And I gave my life to Christ. And it's not the one person you led to Christ. It's the generations. But you know who will be on the other side? Perfectly healthy, perfectly normal, will be my mom. And she'll say, thank you. What better, what better thing than we can do? I preached your dad's funeral in the middle of the sticks at a church that was closed sitting up on this rolling hills at that cemetery. People came from everywhere. It was unbelievable. God came down at that, at that, at that graveside of your dad. And I looked and I said, I asked about the church, and they said, nobody's meeting. The sheriff was there, right? The sheriff of the county was there. People were gathered there. They brought lawn chairs to the graveside. We had church, old-timey church. We had revival. I saw big men begin to weep and cry. And you know what I told them? I said, you, I said I'll come help you open that church and let's do a revival. Let's open that church back up. Two Wednesdays ago, she was sitting here. Amy was sitting, big smile on her face, leaning across the chair waiting on me. And I said, what is it? She said, Brother Jeff, I just want to let you know the church is open. They went, cleaned that church up, got it open, meeting again, and they said they'd love for you to come to a revival. Wow, and heaven rejoices over that. Let's sing a hymn of invitation. If God's put somebody on your heart, if nothing else, would you come pray for the people you work with? Would you come pray for family that's yet to be saved? Would you do that? You come. You come. May never be a moment like this moment. You come, you come.